It's always a pleasure, Mr. Gary Thacker. For those that don't know, author, podcaster, historian, journalist, the list is as long as my shopping list, Gary. We have um, done a couple of podcasts before with uh, a, a number of your books. The first one was about the Dutch, uh, I would say, revolution. Uh, beautiful bridesmaids dressed in orange and I love the way that you've put the orange in the Dutch writing so first and foremostly tell the listeners all about Gary Thacker how you got involved in in the writing process and your journey from Warsaw which is not too far away from where I'm in Bartley Green Birmingham yeah indeed uh, well, I guess um, I suppose like everybody, you know, you're sort of you dabbled in in sort of things, and uh, I, I guess it really started. Well, I was about um, I suppose fifty-ish, and I started working, uh, running a, a design agency in in, in Birmingham, uh, where we used to do uh, campaigns for um, NHS, presumably, uh, predominantly about sort of smoking cessation, health promotion stuff, and I started writing a bit of copy for you know for leaflets and that sort of thing, and. Uh, I got into blogging that way. Did a few blogs. Got interested in um, in got, got approached by a couple of um, you know decent blogging sites. They said, you know, want to come and sort of write for us. And yeah, that came that came on. And then I talked to got a couple of guys who'd written a book. I thought, oh, you know, I could try that. I could try that. And, and I wrote the first one, and uh, and, it, and it's self published on Amazon, which is a bit of a sort of you know an easy way into into writing. Then after that, I got sort of uh, you know it's like writing books, pause. It's a bit like a drug. Yeah. Um, it, it's you hate it, but you can't stop it once you've done it. And mm. I mean, this 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 one I'm talking about now is my it's been my seventh seventh one, and written a couple of no, uh, novels. Um, but you, you mentioned about the, the Dutch one. Yeah, you know, before that, I wrote one about England, the World Cup history, of England, the World Cup. It took me about three years to write. Um, but you know, it's 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 really weird that if I wish I started writing earlier. <laughs> I'm, I'm what I'm swear I'm on there, so twenty uh, days. So I'll be sixty-seven this year, so I've got one more book which I've just pretty well finished, and then that's me retiring. But that'll be eight. That's plenty, I think. So, but yeah, the Dutch one is probably my, my favourite one to date. But this one picks up the thread of that because I'm in the so the Bridgeport Bridesmaids was a better international team, and this is the book we're going to talk about today. Um, Dutch Masters is about the Ajax team that won the successive European Cups 71, 72, 73, and which the team obviously fed into the Dutch national team. But yeah, so um, after that, I sort of come to sort of semi-retirement. I came out to live in Spain, uh, had a big house where, you know, where the, where the kids have gone. Uh, there was me and the wife. We had, th- we had three bathrooms and, you know, there's two of us there and a cat. So, so I had to sort of <laughs> cash in on that and uh, move out to Spain and, you know, have our sort of, Salad days and a bit of sunshine, buddy. Fabulous. But you can't retire. I mean, you're at the young age, the tender age of, of 67. You are a Chelsea supporter. You fell in love with Chelsea during the mid-late 60s, early 70s. I have to say, my podcast partner, Alan Hudson, tells me so many stories about those Chelsea years. And Chelsea are a team that is close to my heart. Not the modern-day Chelsea, but those Chelsea boys. And let's start, because we're going to be talking about the Dutch Masters. Now, Holland was pretty much an amateur in the game of association football. They didn't become professional. The Arriva Dersey didn't start, I believe it was 
mid fifties, and Ajax wasn't professional pretty much until Renus Michaels took the uh, took the helm there. Yeah, I, th- I think the fir- Ajax's first professional player was Pete Kaiser, yeah, which was. I think was in 62, 63, yeah. and Cruyff was the second one. As you say, Dutch football has been was, was amateur in both uh, performance and outlook form for many, many years. And Vic Buckingham, um, who used to, to manage the baggage course mm. at one stage, um, he, he actually got them qualified for their first European Cup when they won the Dutch Eredivisie in the yeah. 50s, 59, I think it was. And they got hammered by uh, an amateur team. And that, that was the standard of Dutch football. In fact, sort of looking at Dutch football as a whole, um, they qualified, they played in the 1934 uh, and 38 World Cup. And didn't play a game in the World Cup until they qualified for the uh, the 1974 tournaments. And the, uh, before they qualified for 1974, they hadn't won a single World Cup game. I mean, that's just, that was standard. That's standard. It's crazy, you know. They sort of got the final in '74, got the final in '78, and then didn't qualify again for another 12 years. Absolutely crazy. But you know, Ajax and Feyenoord sort of came came through um, at the clubs in the, in the early 60s. You say Nichols took out took over. From from big book, big booking actually, and, and and Ajax was struggling at the time. They were they weren't bottom, but they were sort of near the near towards the bottom of the uh, of the other division. And uh, Nichols won the first game. I think it's nine three. There's about seven eight games left when he took over, and the only thing he won two or three more, but he kept them up. And they uh, they gave him the job full time. And uh, and you know as I say, the, the rest is history. But yeah, Dutch football until the Mickles era was very much amateurish. As I say, not only is you know, defined as amateurish, because it, I mean, just, just it's out of it. Even when Pete Kaiser had his first professional contract, he actually owned a tobacconist shop as well, which he had to run to eke out his, his earnings. Cruyff, um, when he got his first professional contract, he had to, I can't remember the name of the magazine, but he worked part-time for his sports magazine, and even stunned street corners selling these magazines, magazines as a professional footballer. Even as a pro, they weren't paid enough for it to work and, and until Nichols came in and tried to professionalise rather than sort of, you know, in typical terms, put, put a sheen on it um, to, so the club could develop. He really did take the bull by the horns, didn't he, Michaels? He, he really transformed Ajax. I remember watching a documentary and there was Kaiser, there was Mr Ajax, please don't let me forget about him because he's always the forgotten man, isn't he? You could go... Uh, sorry? Yeah. Shock Spart is called Mr Ajax. It was exactly, yeah. Yeah, it was there when uh, Mick was one. He, he, sort of, he was still there in the early 70s. But, um, yeah, I mean, yeah, they did, he, um, it's interesting because they took the ball by the horns. They used to call Mickles the ball because he was so... Um, Dominating, and uh, there's a part in that I've got in the book. There's a guy called Bobby Harms who played because Nichols used to play for Ajax as well. Yes, and, he did. Uh, he was a forward, Harms. wasn't he? Nichols, and he won two leagues. With... Yeah, yeah, correct, correct. Mm-hmm. And I think he's got his debut. Is called, I think he's got some like four or five goals in his debut. Five on his okay. debut. <laughs> yeah, five yeah. on his debut. Yeah, he was a big, a big sort of big, strong centre forward, not particularly skilled, but sort of physical. And uh, and it, it, Bobby Harms tells a story that when he was a player, he was very sort of happy-go-lucky joker. As a coach, totally different, disciplinarian. And lots of the Ajax players. I mean, when he first went there, he, he said, "You know, this is the, this is the, the days of you know taking the easy and just scrolling through trying. They're gone. 
you'll be trading properly, you're going to go to uh, trading twice a day, times cross country, and just sort of really set the discipline in there. And uh, he said to a lot of books and to players, if you don't like it, you can ship out, that's the way it's going to be. Yeah. And a lot of players, they actually, even despite the success, didn't get on with um, with um, uh, Mickles. I mean, you mentioned, mentioned Pete Kaiser. Um, Pete Kaiser particularly had a really, I wouldn't say a love-hate, it's more of a hate-hate relationship. And when when uh, Mickles left uh, after the first European Cup triumphs in 71, Kaiser apparently jumped onto the British table and he, was, he jumped onto the table and danced on the table. That's that's how much he didn't get on with um, with Mickles. But yeah, you're absolutely right. He did take the ball by the horns and shake the club up and down until it, you know, it was fit for purpose. Because Chelsea played Ajax in 1917, July 1970, as a friend. It was just after Chelsea had won the FA Cup. Alan was injured. He didn't play a part in the final yeah. or the replay or Mexico. But pretty much his first game back for Chelsea, they'd gone to Sweden. And Alan said to me, we dropped off in Amsterdam to play this friendly because back in those days, you'd, you'd get some easy games in Sweden. So we dropped off yeah. in Ajax. We discovered Heineken, the red light district, and this football club that was named after a cleaning product and a fella that wore the number 14 shirt. Chelsea didn't really know much about Ajax. Neither did the world, because it was a different world back then, of course. It was, mate. I mean, you know, there ain't many British players who could have played for Ajax. Hoodie is one of them. He was, this guy was good enough, absolutely good enough to play for any, almost any club in the world. Um, but yeah, I, as you said, they were very, un, they were really unknown. And I think that the first time they even sort of made a ripple in, in English football was when they played Liverpool yes. in uh, 60, 6-67 season, I think it was. And then I think they beat Liverpool something like 6-1. 5-1. Uh, yeah, 2-2 yeah. two, two, two at Anfield. That's right. Uh, and, and Shankly said, you know, uh, play, I can't, I've got the quote in the book. Uh, something along the lines of, of, we're not used to playing against a team who plays so defensively, uh, <laughs> but we'll, we'll, we'll score six against them in Anfield. Well, they didn't. I mean, Cruyff scored two, and I think I think Roger Hunt scored a couple of goals as well. But, I mean, that was when they made the announcement of um, you know, the first ripple. But, hey, you know, as you say, as you know, as, as what he says there, you know, even in, you know, so 70, they were still... I mean, Netherlands football on the club scene, the European club scene, was sort of very subdued. I mean, it was a bit of a backwater. What was the rivalry like between Feyenoord and Ajax? Because, of course, Ajax got to the final in 69. Uh, yeah. Uh, Feyenoord won the European Cup in 70. And then Ajax yeah. won it 71, 72, 73. But when Ajax qualified in 72, it was Feyenoord that took the Arriva Dersey. And Ajax went into there as defending champions because, of course... In those days, you either had to win your domestic league or win the European Cup to get into the European Cup. Very different today in the Champions League. You, it isn't really the Champions League because there's not... Well, there are champions, but often the winner of the Champions League isn't the champion of the respective comp uh, company, uh, country or defending champions of the European Cup. So it was a different dynamic back then, but that Feyenoord and Ajax rivalry was intense, wasn't it? It wasn't just, mate. Wasn't it just, as mm. you say? Um, there's, there's, there's an interesting thing. I mean, I was, I was, I was fortunate to have some fantastic interviews for the, for the book. Um, 
one of the guys I spoke to was Rude Kroll. Yeah. Um, oh, absolute, absolute legend. What a nice guy. I mean, I, I must have chatted to him for, you know, half an hour, three quarters an hour. And he told me about, one of the things I asked him about was the, was the rival with Feyenoord. And uh, there's a lot of the, the Dutch press um, when Feyenoord uh, won the, you think of beating Celtic. Uh, sorry, beating uh, uh, Inter. Yeah. Um, oh no! Forgive me. No, sorry. Final big Celtic, Celtic big Inter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. The final one is. It doesn't matter who it is. It's a Dutch club one. Rue Cross it now. That's that's not how they looked at it today. They were sort of really jealous. It should have been them first. And in 1970, when they qualified for the final to play, um, sorry, 1971, played Panathinaikos at Wembley. About five days before the last league game of the season, and Ajax were one point in front. Of Feyenoord, and it was a real. They were playing in Rotterdam, Feyenoord Stadium, the the keep, um, uh, in 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 Rotterdam, and it was torrential rain, and the pitch was a right sort of mess. And Feyenoord, it was their last game of the season. Didn't really matter. Ajax players that got the European Cup final coming up three or four days later, so the approach from the Feyenoord players was pretty robust and sort of understanding, appreciating that the Ajax players ain't going to risk an injury and potentially miss, miss the European Cup. And that's exactly how it panned out. And that rival was there again. And Feyenoord won that game and won the title because um, um, Ajax had won the, uh, kind of the, the Cup a little earlier and they went on to win the European Cup. So it denied them the treble, as it were. Um, so, yeah, the, intense, the, the, the rival was intense. And um, obviously, Happel and... Um, uh, and uh, Nichols was sort of sparring off against each other uh, tactically. Um, you know, people, where does total football come from? Uh, I've got a, a sort of couple of sections in it, and eventually, to what is it that you define it? I've spoken to lots of different people about it. Um, former players, uh, I spoke to Rudy Carlton, mentioned David Wimmer, got Brilliant Orange, uh, Sonny Saloy, who played for Ajax for a good many years. Uh, I spoke to Johnny Rep. For a quick brief chat with Johnny Rep and a couple of other pros, um, a couple of authors, um, uh, journalists in, in in the Netherlands, and there's no real easy answer to what's to what is total football. But Nichols, uh, the way he approached it, um, the, the game, he, he sort of adapted because of the way Happel's team were. Nichols was playing a four-two-four as opposed to this is this is in uh, 1970 when we were playing all from the from the won the, the European Cup uh, towards the end of this season before a couple of games for the European Cup um, Feyenoord were playing uh, Ajax and Feyenoord Apple was playing 4-3-3 and it, you know, it sort of overwhelmed them and after that game that Mickles realised if top foot was going to work he had to adapt his, his, his formation and they went out and bought and signed Johan Niskins for that extra midfield presence and that's you know that was the, that was the sort of the birth of the first of the first Ajax legend. And Arnold Muren's older brother played, didn't he, Jerry? And and that is the reason why Johan Cruyff wore the number fourteen shirt because um, he, he was injured, wasn't he, Johan? And all the numbers were given, and and whether it's true or not, I, I don't know. I don't know if you got to the bottom of it, but he picked a shirt out of the kit bag and it got number 14 and, and Cruyff carried yeah. on wearing that and, and Jerry Muren wore the number nine shirt. You're absolutely right, mate. And it, it was, and it is true. Um, I've spoken to a guy called Ork Cock, who's a, a, a Dutch journalist and writer. He wrote Cruyff's biography. I, I asked him about it. He said, yeah, he, it, it, was, it is definitely true. Mm-hmm. He's had it from a couple of players. That, um, as you say, Cruyff was out injured and he had more nine 
before his injury. And uh, when I was into um, Jerry Murray took over his shirt and uh, I think he's had for about seven or eight games, a, lot, a fairly long absence. Yeah. And he came back and Muir wanted to give him a nine shirt back. And he said, no, no, you, you know, you've been playing, you wear it. And he dipped his hand into a pile of shirts and chance would have it that he pulled out number 14. And as you say, you know, it, it's, I know when I, when I sort of researched this, I wanted it to be true. Um, so it was great to talk to all because he's a cracking guy, um, a really nice guy to speak to. And uh, I'm so knowledgeable about about Ajax and Dutch football, and he said, "Yeah, no, I've had it confirmed by by you know first first hand. It was true. It's true. What a great story." Wait. But it's interesting about, about Jerry Muren, just sort of briefly. In, and when they played Real in the semi final, I think it was '73. Um, there was a there's a pass to play. Uh, Ajax would had won one nil at or sorry two one, I think it was in uh, in Amsterdam and. Everybody thought it was going to be a real difficult game now to go to, to Madrid with just a single goal lead. And they played really well, went one nil up, and there was a pass to play with about 10, 15 minutes to play. And, you know, you, you, sometimes you need a goal to confirm the game, to confirm that you've won. But this wasn't a goal. It was a, a cross-field pass from the right from Serbia across to the left-hand side where Muro was playing left-hand side of midfield. And he cushioned the ball, and he jogged forward. We're going to keep you up here. Left foot, right foot, Sinny. left foot, yeah. right foot. Yeah. <laughs> and then he just trots the ball off to Rue Kroll. And he, I, 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 I've got his cropping and he says that, you know, in that moment, um, it was no longer the big Real Madrid and little Ajax. Ajax had, had, had stepped up and became the better team, the better club and more important. And I guess for some of the older listeners, if you... Remember Jim Baxter, what he done at Wembley? Yeah. That was pretty much the situation. So, yeah. you know, the little Ajax become, became the big Ajax. And by winning games in Europe, that's what you believe and that confidence that Ajax took onto. Lots of people would say with the Dutch, there's an arrogance with the Dutch. I believe it's a supreme confidence and that that comes with winning so many games, so many important games, and and that team that I think he just encapsulated absolutely everything. His name, Jerry, I don't know. I looked on uh, Wikipedia, and sometimes Wikipedia there are things on there that aren't particularly true. But true, he's true. got Hyacinth and Maria in his name. Is that yeah. true? Yeah. Is, yeah. How yeah. did that come yeah. about? I think it means different things in different languages. I think it's just in, I think Rude Kroll's middle name is something like Maria or something like that right. as well. I wouldn't I wouldn't say but it is yeah, it is true, yeah. yeah. Um it's full name, yeah, it's, it is quite long. And they do have this there's this thing that in, in uh Netherlands culture that a lot a lot of whether you're boys or girls, your mother's name becomes part of um Got, yeah. your sort of group of names. Mm. Uh yeah, but it's just a bit about arrogance. Um I was, not for this book actually, although I did speak for this book, but about the beautiful bridesmaid, I was talking to a guy called Jan Herman de Bruyne, who's a quite uh, elderly now, but sort of massively respected uh, journalist in, in the Netherlands. And he says, there is nothing in life more arrogant than a Dutchman. Uh, I mean, I, I, I didn't argue. I mean, he said, you know, this guy here, you know, and he knows it. But it is, it's a feature of, of Dutch football, that, that sort of the swagger. I mean, the guy called, this guy as a journalist, um, an Ajax expert, he works for a newspaper called Earth, Earth Patel, uh, named Menno Pot. And he runs a podcast uh, uh, about Ajax. 
and it's in, in Dutch Kopranya, which means swagger. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, the Dutch earned that right to have that swagger uh, because that's how they right. played the game of football. 1971, they won their first European Cup at Wembley. And uh, it was Dick Van Dyke that scored the goal, wasn't it? It was like, you know, musical. It was. <laughs> Mary Poppins wasn't there, I don't think, <laughs> No, you know, I mean, you couldn't make it up, could you? And the first goal scorer at Wembley, Dick Van Dyke, you're thinking, blimey, here we go. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It was, it was quite early in the game as well. Yeah. Um, Barry Hulsoff, who's probably one of my favourite players of all time, um, was... was Played centre and this guy played centre back, uh, and he only played 13 games for the Dutch national team. He had a bad knee injury, which, which finished his career. He was only about 27, 20 at the time, just about reaching his peak. He played 13 games for the Dutch national team, and scored six goals from centre back. Yeah, I mean, this is how good this guy was. But he scored forward and played a pass, 50, 60 yard pinpoint pass to Kai's out on the left. Kai's team passed the four back and crossed it in, uh, and and Van Dijk ran to the near post and flicked into the far post. Yeah. I mean, a really good goal. Yeah, and um, people found that uh, Pantanaikos in that game that wow, it's only a Greek team, you know, they were you know, nothing special. They beat Everton to get into the thing, and they beat Red Star Belgrade, and they'd lost something like four-one in Belgrade, yeah. and then beat them three-nil at home to go through an away goal. And they were they were, they were coached by Ferenc Puskas. Yes, yeah. Um, but I don't, I mean, any team that gets to a European Cup final is there because they deserve it. You know, as you said earlier, um, Paul. You know, these are the times when you get four teams qualifying from one country. You've got to win your title. Yeah. You've got to be the best team to get there anyway. So, you know, I mean, people sort of say that's the easy one. It wasn't the easy one. I mean, and Pantanas played quite decent football in that game. I, got, I spoke to a couple of um, Greek journalists about it. One guy who wrote a book about when Greece won the European Cup and, uh, sorry, the European Championship. And, you know, that, so that, that team was revered. Uh, even today in, in, in Greece as the greatest ever Greek club team. And, you know, when you look at 69 and and Ajax getting beat by AC Milan, because Runas Michaels was all about attack, 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 and, and yeah. rightly so, and, and, and the whole of Dutch football, as, as we've seen the success of Dutch football, is based on that philosophy. But he, he realised then, in that final, when they got beat, that... I need to really focus on my defence as well as my attack. Yeah. It's no good just going all guns blazing. I need to, along with the Italians, with the Catanaccio, and in 72, that's who they played, the, uh, the the major exponents of the Catanaccio international. But he, he, he formulated a system that was based on pretty much, I'm guessing, what the Catanaccio was all about. It wasn't about you know, making sure that you're a defensive unit, but making sure that that back door is locked and that's what Michael's done and that was the bedrock of his success. 71, 72, 73, wasn't it? Yeah. Uh, it, 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 it's a really fascinating game. I mean, there's a mm. quote from Barry Holsoff who mentioned earlier. He said that, you know, um, uh, we were too young, we were too inexperienced, but sometimes you have to lose a final to win a final. Yep. And, uh, I can't remember the exact quote, but it was a Dutch quote, something along the lines of, you only learn to experience, or, or something like that. And as you say, Mikkels picked up on that, and he signed uh, Vasovic, uh, who, who played uh, the European Cup final a couple of years previously and lost. And he became the sort of first 
um, sweeper of, you know, in, in the uh, in the uh, in the uh, top football system, and he, he was the first captain, the first Dutch captain to pick up the uh, the European Cup, uh, captain the side against Panathinaikos, and uh, as you say, you know. It's it's you get beat sometimes, but it, it, sometimes you learn more from your defeats than you do from your victories. And that was, as you say, Paul, certainly the case in uh, when they lost to Milan because Milan were a, were a far superior side. They were they were proper case hardened. Um, they were hard. They were they were hard. They were used to winning. They you know they were skilled in the, this in Syria. Um, I think I can't remember exactly, but they conceded some ridiculous low amounts of goals on their way to win the, the Syria title. The Scudetto. Um, they were too. They were just basically too good. They were too experienced, too strong. And but I actually learned from it. And, you know, um, Mickles looked. I speak to Rupert and spoke to Rupert Crawl. He said at the end of every season, Mickles look at his team and it, uh, his squad. And if there's players who weren't good enough, they were out. They were just yeah. where big your name was. They were out. And he'd look out for somebody. He looked for the right piece that fitted in the jigsaw. And that international team, it was governed by the great Sandro Mazzola whose father was the great Valentino Mazzola who was a player the pin-up boy the poster boy in the El Grande Torino side and the Inter was the El Grande Inter it was an extremely phenomenal Inter team however they were looking at their past glories rather than I guess if you're looking at a supermarket, they passed their sell-by dates, really. They were on the <laughs> wrong end, wasn't they? International in 72, but steeped, steeped in European Cup glory. Yeah, I mean, we're talking 72, 72 far now with the big yeah. Inter. Um, yeah. Um, yeah, you're right. And there's, a, there's one of the guys who I spoke to, the journalist there, who, who had an interview. I can't remember the guy's name, the, the, the internationally uh, defender, who was... Um, Given the onerous task of marking Cruyff, and yeah, I mean, good luck with that indeed, mate. There you go, no sweat, you know, help yourself, <laughs> fill your boots, fill your boots, Tiger. Um, and he, he, apparently, he studied for weeks and looking up the types of Cruyff and his manoeuvres and how he played. And for the first one, it's fifteen minutes, twenty minutes. Um, he, he, he sort of kept it quiet, but then you know, it just it broke free. He, the phrase, something along the lines of, you know. When, when, there, when there's a, um, a saucepan boiling, you put the, the, the top on the saucepan and eventually your fingers get burned. Um, and, and that's that's what happened. And it does, it does great passage in that game, in that inch game. Um, and it, it's missed so, by so many. You know, I didn't know until I watched the game, obviously, again, for the for the book. Um, you're, you're recording 74 World Cup the, against uh, Sweden, the, the, the Cruyff turn. Yeah. He, he actually did it in that game as well in 1972 against Inter. And it, it sort of got missed, I suppose, because there wasn't the World Cup, the global coverage that wasn't the World Cup. But it was probably their best performance, I think, uh, in Inter, because Inter were, as you say, they were a little bit over the top, but they were they were, they, they were the proper old masters. And, uh, you know, they, it, was a, it was a real sort of, you know, attacking, attacking team against defensive team. And it, it great the football that, uh, that I had to come out on top because we look like attacking football, don't we, mate? Absolutely. But when you, you know, when we're talking about these crack sides and they are phenomenal sides and it's the reputation that precedes. I remember when Chelsea beat Real Madrid in uh, in Athens yeah. in 1971 and Alan was saying yeah. to me, yeah, it's still Real Madrid. And Hento played in that game. It's probably one of his final <laughs> games that he that he played. He was a substitute yeah. in one game and still got his watch on. <laughs> so, and, uh, <laughs> yeah, 
and Johnny Boy had his shirt, and he 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 had a few drinks of one night, and um, he, he got rid of it in Tampa Bay. <laughs> but and and he says you don't do things like that, Johnny. You know, you you're in the presence of greatness, and and that's what they were. But that first goal with Cruyff, the ball had come over. Um, the goalkeeper and the centre-half, and Cruyff had got it, and he just off-balance, and he knocked it in, and he reeled away. That was arguably the first time I watched a game of football and thought, blimey, why didn't that fella fall over? Yeah, yeah. It's, um, you know, it's one of the things you look at, you think, I should tap in there, is but the mm. balance, um, mm. as I say, as I say to, 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 to you know, get your sort of composure and, and, and score from it, you know. But that's, you know, great players make things look simple, don't they, mate? You know, over the years, you know. You look, you look at players, sometimes you think, ah, oh, it's not too bad. Then when you really analyze, you think, ah, oh, you know, there's mm. something special there. Uh, and you know, there's quotes as that, and it might, it might be difficult things look easy. And it's interesting that there's, there's both both goals, although they played really some great football in that game against Inter, both goals came from crosses. Yeah. Um, the one that you say when the goalkeeper and the centre half sort of collided and dropped, left the ball, got through to Crow for the second one was a he- I think a header from a corner. Yeah, it was, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so both, yeah, so was, I mean, you know, although the total football sort of created domination of the game, both goals came from from sort of you know, pretty much then butter crosses into the box. But again then, 72, so they've won it. And they won everything in 1972. They went through the old... Did they even beat Rangers? in? Well, that would have been 73, of course. But it was the follow-on from winning the European Cup. They played the Super Cup and won that. So, you know, Ajax, over that period of time, have won the, the Dutch League. They've won the Dutch Cup. They've won the European Cup. They've won the Super Cup. I mean, they've won absolutely yeah. everything that that they could possibly p- play for, apart from the World Cup. And then when it did come to the World Cup, of course, it was pretty much the bedrock was the Dutch team plus Van Anagem and one or two others. And Renus Michaels yeah. took over. And it, w- it was only a few weeks going up to the World Cup that Renus took over and then your centre-halves are missing he stuck Harry on at centre-half and, and that's what you know when players are missing in this country we go oh my god we've got a centre-half missing what we're going to do the Dutch centre-half missing put a centre-midfield in Dutch centre-forwards missing put a centre-midfield up front but that's the way that they were always encouraged to play in total football just come to the fore in, in both club football and international football. A shame that they didn't win. A shame that they were bridesmaids in 74 and 78, but they certainly were the groom in, well, they were the bride and the groom in the 70s, the early 70s in club football. Good one, mate, yeah. It's interesting about the Rangers game um, because it was, the, it was designed to be the first Super Cup. Yeah. However, um, it wasn't because uh, Rangers had won the um, Cupwins Cup, I think. Was it the Cupwins Cup? Yeah, they yeah. won the Cupwins yeah. Cup, Rangers. But because of uh, there'd been some fan violence in the final, yes, UEFA mm-hmm. had banned Rangers from playing uh, any European games for, for, a, for a season. So they couldn't officially play. So the game was actually played to celebrate Rangers' centenary. Right. Although, uh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. Although the the idea of sort of when it was a, a bit floating anyway, I thought, yeah, that's a decent idea, but we can't do that because Rangers are actually banned. So it was a celebration of Rangers' centenary 
actually. That's that's the cover they used, although it was the first unofficial Super Cup. But yeah, you mentioned about, about sort of I actually into the European um, uh, into the uh, World Cup squad that Nichols because Nichols left after seventy one yeah, to go to yeah. Barcelona, mm-hmm. and um, taken over by a guy called Stefan Kovacs, who was a Romanian, fairly unknown coach, and Kovacs was different in so many ways to Nichols, and he sort of. He sort of let the hand break off a little bit and allowed the players to sort of express themselves more. And that became a better team. In fact, there's a famous quote that Cruyff made. It's in uh, Jennifer Wilson's book about inverted pyramid saying that um, Ajax played better football under Nichols, uh, so under Kovacs than he did on Nichols. And so when the World Cup came round uh, in 74, the team that uh, Redis Nichols had the players from, from Ajax were actually a much more developed team than the team he left. So Mikkels' his time at at, uh, at Barcelona had allowed Kovacs to play with better players. But you mentioned about Ari Hahn as well. Going, there. you're absolutely right, mate. Absolutely right. So there was two players that um, were injured in uh, that couldn't play in the nineties and well couldn't play fully. Well, one was Barry Hulshoff, um, who had an injury to it, where he was his million and basically, I say basically finished him. Another guy was uh, Ryan Siswell that played for um, Feyenoord, and Mikkels took. Uh, Ryan as well and he came with us on a couple of times but he couldn't play all the time so they're, sick, they're stuck with a situation there about the, the defence and uh, the goalkeeper was another fascinating thing um, there was Jan van Beveren was by far and away the best goalkeeper in the in Netherlands probably the best in Europe at the time and he had an injury a couple of months before the uh, World Cup squad was announced and he came back afterwards uh, Pete Shrivers from Ajax took his place um, in the national squad, and when he came back, um, he was sort of semi-fit for the get for the tournaments. And Nichols said, "I want you to prove your fitness in a, in a friendly game." I think it was against he was against Hanover. This is a few weeks before the the, the World Cup. And uh, Jan van Beveren said to Nichols, "I don't really want to risk damaging the injury. If you want me to play a half, I'll play half." And in the end, the course said, "Well, now if you're not going to play, then you clear off." And they kicked him out of the squad. And I actually then as a and that was in face of the situation of their goalkeeper, who was probably, I say, the best goalkeeper in Netherlands by a country mile. Everybody thought Pete Schweizer was going to be um, the guy who had between the sticks. But no, this is, this, is, this, is, this is Dutch football. So instead, they picked a player who hadn't played international football mm-hmm. for 12 years. Mm-hmm. And in that time, in that time, he just, he just played uh, five minutes in his first cap and come on as a substitute and conceded a goal. I hadn't played for 12 years in touch football. This is Jan Youngblood, who yeah. they, the Dutch then put into the, into the squad. And Harry Hahn, as you say, because Nichols, uh, because Nichols couldn't pick horse up from uh, Rangers Israel, he picked a midfield player to play centre-half. And alongside him, he picked the Feyenoord fullback, Wim uh, Roisbergen, to play alongside him. So you had a goalkeeper who hadn't played in touch football for 12 years. You had Harry Hahn, who was a midfield player, played centre back and never played there in his life before. And you had a Finn Riceberg, and he was his first cap. I think he got, I think got one cap for going to the, into the tournament. Playing centre half, who was a full back. This is Dutch football for you, mate. And Jan Youngblood was the first goalkeeper I've ever seen head a ball. It was almost yeah. like, you know, when in modern days now we go, the goalkeeper needs to be able to kick the ball out and he's the, sweep, he's the sweeper keeper. Sweeper. Well, yeah. Youngblood young was in 1974. He was a sweeper keeper. So in yeah. all positions in that Dutch, and I'm guessing 
that that Michael's picked him for his ability, you know, with his feet as much as with his yeah, hands. Absolutely right. That's absolutely correct. You know, he, um, I think it was Cruyff actually who pushed for him. Um, and it's interesting though. I mean, in, and I've, I've watched the, the World Cup, all the, the Dutch games for the from a previous book, yeah. and in the entire tournament, he only comes out of his area once because this is before the pass back. <laughs> the ball's well back, he can pick it up. He only comes out of his area once, and you think, okay, what's he going to do? He's going to sort of throw a body swerve. He's going to sort of step over and roll. No, he just oops the ball, oops the ball off the park. Even I could have done that. But there you go. I mean, that's say, but you're right. He did pick him because he was deemed to be a footballing goalkeeper. You're absolutely right, mate. In the 1973 European Cup final, again against uh, another Italian opposition, uh, Juventus, and it was Johnny Rep. I didn't realise that Johnny come into the team later. I thought all these boys come at the same time, but they didn't. Kroll come in almost as the missing piece of the jigsaw, and then Johnny Rep come in in the 1973 final. Uh, Michaels had already gone, and, and Barcelona hadn't won. I don't think they'd won the league for something like 10 seasons and won the league there at Barcelona. So he's right. playing his trade there in Spain. The Dutch are still playing their trade all over Europe and conquering Europe. And it was a Johnny Rep goal that, that won the uh, the third of the uh, of the trilogy, the trio, the European Cups back-to-back. But in 72, let's just go back to 72. If you're going to win a European Cup anywhere on the planet, well, it's going to obviously be in Europe. You want to win it in your neighbour's backyard, really, to take the piss, don't you? And that's what the yeah. Dutch done with Feyenoord. You're right, mate. There, it's interesting. They played, Ajax played three games in about three weeks after the Kite towards the end of the season. Yeah. They played the uh, the KMV, the Cup final at the Keep and won it. They played uh, um, Feyenoord a couple of weeks before the end of the season in the league game at the club and won it and won the league because of that. And then had the European Cup final there and won that bugger there as well. So as you say, talking about taking the mick, that was that did it once. They did it three times. <laughs> but again, that was what they were all about, and they were. They were a fun football team, wasn't they? They were everything that you want from a football team. I remember even when I was starting a football team, I wanted that Ajax sign. You know, they they just stood for everything that football should stand for. Where did your love of Dutch football come from, Gary? What what did you start thinking about, oh, I'm going to start researching Dutch football and write these two iconic books? I also want to know where the cover come from, because the cover is fantastic. And the publication, is it, again, Pitch Publishing that's that's done it? Yeah, yeah. Well, I, I mean, I'll just... So, basically, um, the Dutch sort of t- comes from my consciousness because 71, I'm just there, I'd be so... I'd be 15, 14, 15, sort of thing. And that's the sort of era where, where you sort of see a brand of football. Yeah. You know, I'm t- we're talking, we're talking the Hoodie seasons. We're talking Osgood seasons. You know, Charles, Charlie Cook, yeah. that's what. You know, George Best. These are the seasons. These are the games where you sort of, this is what this is what football's about. This, you know, you want to see the best play. You know, on guys on the bloody park. You want to see some great football. So I think that's why I sort of um, got in touch, got, sort of got attached to Dutch football. And then because they kept winning, you they became legendary. And then you obviously got 74 as well. So that was sort of, I just sort of enraptured by, by Dutch football. So that's where my interest came from. 
Um, did you, uh, regarding the cover, there's a guy called, um, oh, his name's Duncan, I think it's Duncan only, uh, forgive me, I'm a quite sure, his surname works for Pitch. Yeah. And uh, if, if, when you're doing the sort of, um, if, if the book is with Pitch, and when you're doing the sort of, um, if they ask you, what do I do, what, any ideas about the cover? Well, I mean, this is this will be my third one pitch. I, I said, I said, I think it is, but I tell you what, I'm whatever Dunk comes up with, they're always brilliant, and and, and you know, it, it is a great cover. It's it's um it's Pete Kaiser, and uh, and, and the, the picture, and it's uh, I've been a few of the guys who have sort of done the books, uh, sort of helped me with the books, and Menel Potter's one of the guys, and the Orc Cock is the one who said, you know, I can't believe you wrote a book about that. It's great to see you didn't put a picture of Cruyff on the front. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, yeah. I mean, it's to, just just going back a couple of things that you mentioned earlier. But uh, Rick Kroll, uh, he came into the team in 1969, so it's just 1971, and was due to would have played the European Cup. Broke his leg. Yeah. About mm-hmm. three or four uh, months before, so he couldn't play. And back to the sort of what does what does what does Nichols do when his back breaks his leg? So he put knee skins. He played knee skins, a midfield player as a fullback. Right. Yeah. So that 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 that, that's, that was what he, he, he worked. And, and Johnny Rep, about Johnny Rep, um, he came through the team, and uh, it was always an issue about getting a first team game because the guy I mentioned earlier, Sharp Spart, had been there for a long, long time, yeah, and yeah. Cruyff liked playing with Spart. Spart used to he was he was he'd do all the graft and all that sort of thing. Um, and Johnny Rep always said. He couldn't get a game ahead of Spart until Cruyff said it was okay. He had to sort of not convince the coach. He had to convince the he had to convince the Cruyff that you know to let him in. And at this time, this was Kovacs would be in in, in charge then. But um, yeah, he scored a goal in, in that game against Juve. Uh, it was Juve's first um, European final, and they were like nervous rabbits caught in the headlights. Mm. I was talking to Rude Kroll about about this game, and uh, he said that. Uh, you couldn't, we couldn't believe because it come from obviously from the Netherlands how hot it was in Belgrade yes. and mm. we couldn't really play our game our normal game and it's almost like you played it in third gear and if you look at the, 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 the game there were so many strolling about and balls giving the work and you know the balls pinching about but the players are sort of walking about and it, it sort of deemed to be um, you know the sort of poorest performance but there's lots of reasons why that was the case and the uh, Juve didn't seem to want to come out and play. In fact, uh, Johnny Rep said something like, um, when we scored, we thought, okay, they've got to come out now, but they never came out. They didn't want to play. They didn't want to fight. They almost were happy just to keep it to 1-0. But, you know, so in a game like that, the team don't want to, it takes two to tango up all, doesn't it? You know, so uh, then the team don't want to play. They're a bit stuck. And, you know, you go, you go one look and they don't, want to, they don't seem to fight to want to equalise. And uh, there you go. Well, that's the fantastic t- thing about that Dutch team. They could play on the front foot, or they could defend on the back foot as well. They yeah, they yeah, could yeah. do anything. They had the personnel. You've just referenced there, Johan Naiskin, who drops in there at fullback. What did uh, Guardiola do the other week? He, he put Bernardo Silva yeah. there at fullback. Yeah. Jack Grealish yeah. almost played as a wing back the other week. So yeah. you know you, they look at these football players and they can do a job for me in that position in this situation. And they're all comfortable to just drop in and do do that job in a certain position. Whereas some other teams that the, the players aren't as educated, they, they they they're like they're like rabbits in the headlights, and they they don't know what to do. Yeah. They just drop in, and they, it's just it's second nature to them. 
That's yeah, what our news is all about, the Dutch. And and also as well, coming from a nation, Gary, that that I don't know what the population is now, but back then it was less. And and the the Dutch have done so magnificently with such a small nation. Yeah. Yeah, they had, they had, and that, you know, that's why there was sort of quite a, quite a bit of a, a backwater of uh, European football, you know. I mean, you're absolutely right about the players, mate. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, the, the, the ethos is pick your best players and then put them in the positions. Yeah. And, but so many AX players were used to. When they signed um, Harry Hahn, and the same thing happened when they signed um, Horst Blankenberg, a German defender, when you're playing next to um, next to Horsoff, the same thing happened with, with Vasovic when they signed him. Mikkel starts these players in midfield, whether they're defenders or what, so they understand the position, so they can yeah. move out with the ball. You know, I mean, you know, centre halves these days, you know, you, got, you might have two in ten who are decent footballers who can match, you know. But they have, they were the best. They pick your best players. Pick yeah. your best players. I mean, mm-hmm. you know, it would have had any 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 sort of qualms about playing uh, Neeskins in, uh, in as a fullback. It just needs to be a bit Guardiola when he was at Barcelona. He took Mascarano from a midfield player into a central defender. Yeah. Mm. yeah. I mean, yeah, so you pick your best players and that that's what that's what happened with um certainly with Mickles and, and to an extent with um with Kovacs and, and in the World Cup as well, in seventy four as well. Absolutely. We can't leave the podcast without talking about the um the Reynolds years because he he, he was almost like the father of Ajax football again, another Englishman that that's put his indelible stamp onto Dutch football as Jimmy Hogan did back in the early 1900s when Bolton Wonders, I think it was, went to Holland and smashed them, I, I think, uh, something like 10-2, one of the sides, and says, one of these days I'll come back and teach you how to play football. So, you know, when you look at the development of Dutch football since the Dutch have played the, the game of football, there's always been an Englishman and 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 not just once, but but twice, wasn't it that Reynolds managed uh, Ajax? Yeah, yeah. Well, it, it, I mean, just just sort of briefly pick up on what you're saying there. Um, Jimmy Hogan, he's he's revered uh, in the Netherlands as, um, as 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 you know as a coach, and the same is true in Hungary. When that when Hungary beat England five three, five three, five two, right. whatever it was, in, yeah. in nineteen fifty three. Hungary expected him to be the guest of honour there. And he was actually he was there, but he was coaching the Aston Villa youth team at the time. And he was there with the other players. And they said, Faisal, um, who was the manager, one of the sort of, not the manager, the head of the Hungarian FA or something, said, uh, when the history of Hungarian football is written, uh, Jimmy Hogan's name will be written in gold. And uh, Sebesh, who was the, the coach, said he taught us how to play football. But he had the same effect. He worked with uh, Hugo Meissel with the Swiss team. Yeah. He actually worked with uh, with uh, the, uh, the Grand Torino yes. team as well. But you mentioned about um, Jack Reynolds. So Jack Reynolds, for about 25, 30 years, he was in and out of Ajax for a long time. He was yeah, there he was. He, 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 uh, in, in the Second World War. And he ended up in internment camp when when the Netherlands were invaded, and they used they call uh, this is the guy I spoke to earlier, Menel Potter, who was a real Ajax um, um, aficionado. They called the this day they called Jack and his Uncle Jack, yeah. Uncle Jack, 
and when the old the old stadium that in near they had a sta a stand named after him, and when they moved to the the Ajax arena, the I arena which is now renamed the Yellow Cloak Arena, there's a lobby there named for Jack Reynolds and there's a plaque on the wall about him. So when you go in, the plaque's right in front of you. That's the respect they have for Jack Reynolds. But there's also a couple of guys who coached Ajax from the UK. So, um, uh, um, and it, it, they took they took a lot of, and this happened with a lot of European clubs. Took a lot of British coaches, yeah. but weren't the coaches who coached the English way of playing? They were the people who coached possession of the football. Not just running mm-hmm. up and down the terraces to get fit, you know. And but they played, they coached with the ball. And was it Jesse Carver, who I think was was uh, managed the baggage for a while as well. But he, he worked all over Europe. And the other one who didn't manage the backs for a while, of course, is Vic Buckingham. And it, Vic, it was Vic Buckingham who gave Cruyff his debut. Yeah, there, there were so many coaches that didn't fit into the narrative that the English were driving, which Correct. was, if you didn't see the ball during the week, you'll want the ball at the weekend. Whereas these fellas were going... Yeah. Let's have the ball during the week and the weekend and we'll perfect the art of using the ball yeah. and the possession of it. And, you know, I think there's another great book there of, of the coaches, the coaches of yesteryear that really transformed and changed the world of football. Bella Gutman would be another one. Bella was very instrumental in the development of, of Benfica, etc. And, and one or two yeah. others and... You know, there's, there are so many to, uh, to uh, that should never ever be forgotten. How can people hook up with you, Gaz, and buy the book? When's it due out? Have you got on on our socials and our groups? I've put it out there, and but for people that aren't involved with us and our socials, what's the best way to? buy your book because that's what you want people to do buy it and read it it it, it must be a fabulous read and i will go out there and buy it like i did with the uh, the previous books as well mate yeah wonderful man um yeah so basically um it's actually it's not out until 22nd of may yeah um but it's just on amazon for pre-order at the moment so just type in my name gary thacker t-h-a-c-k-e-r you'll you'll go there it's so it's actually um I think it's second rated in the hot new releases on Amazon's European League. So it's, it's, it's obviously selling quite well, which is great. Um, I've also got a, a, a Twitter page up for it as well, which is uh, at DutchMasters73. Uh, we've all got news on the, about the book and uh, about a lot of the people who've uh, contributed to the interviews and about some of the games there to sort of um, work people's appetite for the book. And uh, yeah, so so yeah, it, it's not until May, but it's still selling well. Uh, so anybody wants to follow me on Twitter, that's great. I always follow people back. Um, so, yeah, that'd be wonderful. Superb. And these football times, how are the guys going on? You've got so many books. I mean, I've, I've got lots of your books in my library. Um, the European books from Stephen Scrag and um, uh, Stu as well, doing the 82 and the Brazil of 82. Some fantastic yeah. publications you guys come come up with and do such wonderful work with these football times. And Aidan as well with his Neely Men, brilliant book. I've got that yep. in my library as well. Yeah, it's it's great to have. It's, it's like a support network with those guys there. And 
there's, there's a guy called Paul McPartland as well who wrote a book there ever since Champions uh, Championship, uh, and it's great because we all support each other. And you know, there's some really talented guys. So I feel very privileged to work with some of the guys today. I mean, Steve, for example, has been nominated for. Uh, the, the um, sports book of the year twice. I think um, Stewart's Stewart's nineteen eighty two book, um, Brazil nineteen eighty two was was, was also nominated. He's got a really good book coming out soon about the nineteen eighty two World Cup, which, which I think is going to be a blooming barnstorm. So yeah, they're, they're great great to work with. They've got podcasts going all over the show at the moment. So yeah, great great it's great to work with. guys, really great talented guys. Superb. Can uh, you pass on my regards to the guys um, and? Can I wish you all the very best, Gary, with with your work? With this can't be a, your last book or the, your next book, the last book. You must keep on writing books and educating <laughs> us. Um, your your final words. Uh, what would your final word be about this wonderful book? And where did the title come from? I mean, I know it's like what you would call those Dutch people, the masters, but. Um, how did you come about that working title? Um, well, first thank you for your kind words, Paul. Um, I mean, basically, um, in the introduction, I compare them, the players to the famous artist, Dutch masters, uh, uh, Rembrandt, um, Frans Hals, and how they sort of used colours to paint on their canvas, whereas um, the, the Ajax Football Club painted on a green canvas but they still make beautiful pictures. That's the sort of thing. I've got a nice little intro in there. There's a the quote from a, a, a goes back at 300 years, and it's something like, in fact, I've, I've got to, I'll, I'll tell you what it is. I'll tell you, because I've got it in front of me. It's a guy called uh, Sir William Temple. He was the English ambassador to the Dutch Republic just after they won the 80 years' war against Spain. And uh, this was 1673. So it's literally exactly 300 years before um, they won the third European Cup. And it guesses the Dutch are the envy of some, the fear of others, and the wonder of all their neighbours. And I thought, what a really wonderful quote that is. <laughs> so, I mean, that's, that's we'll leave, we'll leave, you know, listen to the thought about Ajax of the early 70s, the wonder of all their neighbours, the envy of some, the fear of others, and that captured it wonderfully. Gary, I don't think we can, we can add anything to that last statement of yours. That just says it all. In terms of football... When you're in a training session and someone scores a world and you go, do you know what, we'll finish on that and we're going to finish on that, mate. Can I wish you all the very best? And any time you need me, I'm only a phone call away. Enjoy the sun in Spain and um, all the very, very best to you, mate. Um, I'm honoured to uh, to cut another podcast with, uh, with one of my educators. Thank you, sir. Bless you, buddy, and keep the podcast coming. It's always great to hear about Woody and uh, TC and Tony Curry and Frank Worthington. The more kind of football, buddy. Absolutely. Cheers, pal. Catch you later. Okay, And thanks all for listening. Cheers, Gary. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Bye for now. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.